Hola mi gente. The moment you've been waiting for is finally here. My brand new book, Financially Lit, is officially out. And I can't wait for you to get your copy. Inside this book, I'm bringing you culturally relevant and relatable personal finance advice that will allow you to finally feel seen, heard, and understood. Whether it's the guilt you feel from being the first person to make it while members of your family are still struggling, or the way that financial trauma manifests itself in negative and limiting beliefs around money, Financially Lit is here to guide you through it all. Just a few years ago, it was almost impossible to find personal finance books written for first-generation wealth-building Latinas. We have been forced to navigate the complicated world of money with a bunch of money books written by old white dudes who don't understand what it's like for us first-gen kids. But that stops right here, right now. Inside Financially Lit, you will learn how to set boundaries with your familia, with your dinero, create and pass on generational wealth, diversify and increase your income, protect yourself from financial abuse, navigate the complicated relationship between amor and dinero, invest like a white dude or better, and so much more. You can get your hard copy and audiobook version of Financially Lit at financiallylitbook.com and make sure to join our email list so you can find out when I'm stopping in a city near you for the Financially Lit book tour. See you soon. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I am semi-retiring at the age of 45, and I beat that goal by five years. And keep in mind, I started late. I didn't really have any savings, any retirement money back in 2009 to talk about. So for those who are thinking, I can't do it, it's too late for me, don't concern yourself so much. I must have a million dollars. I must have X amount. You got to start. You got to just to say, I deserve it. For me, I deserved it. I wanted a different future. I wanted a different outcome than my mother. And how can I use the tools that I have in front of me to get me closer to that end game? And mm -hmm. that's what I did. You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres, award-winning Latina personal finance expert. I didn't always have my financial shit together, but when I started looking for POC-friendly personal finance podcasts, I couldn't find any. And so Yo Quiero Dinero was born. On this show, I'll show you how to make dinero, how to keep your dinero, and most importantly, how to make it grow. Each week, I'm connecting you with the most brilliant minds in the world of money and business, so you can learn about investing, entrepreneurship, and building wealth. The best part? I'm dishing up all this knowledge with a sassy side of sazón. So if you're ready to be poderosa with your dinero, you've come to the right place. Let's dive in. Before we hop into today's conversation, I want to remind you to follow us on social. If you're loving this podcast and you want more community, you want to find out more about our events and all the stuff that we have going on behind the scenes, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and everywhere else you love to hang out on the internet. If you're loving this podcast, 
please take a moment to leave us a review if you listen to us on Apple. It's the easiest way to share our podcast with people that you know and love, and it helps us get discovered by amazing listeners like you. So take a moment, leave us a review, share us with your friends and family, subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and make sure to check out our blog, YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list and you'll never miss an episode. Plus, you get exclusive invitations to our live events, special discounts for our digital courses, and as always, our best personal finance tips and advice to help you be poderosa with your dinero. Thanks for listening. Now, let's get into the episode. Cassandra, welcome to the show. I am so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Let's start off with an intro. Tell us who you are. So I'm Cassandra Dasend. I'm a citizen of three countries. So that's like a claim to fame for me. So I am a Trini born, Canadian raised, and now American citizen as well. I am a PM consultant, so project and program management consultant. I'm a holistic wealth advocate. I've been in the space since about 2012, 2013. I'm also a singer, songwriter, and musician. So I am a multi-hyphenate, as they say. I love me a multi-hyphenate. I love me a woman who just, you know, explores every curiosity, every passion. And so I definitely want to dive into all the different aspects of your personality. But let's start at the beginning. Let's talk to baby Cassandra, childhood Cassandra. What did you grow up with when it comes to money? What was the story in your household? Oof. All right. So my late mother, she was a single parent. I am the last of six children and I came really late in life. And so when we immigrated to Montreal, didn't speak any French. She had to start from scratch. She worked as a chambermaid. I went to a French school. So for me, it was just watching her just hustle and not because it was en vogue, not because it's the thing to do. It's because it was truly a necessity. So I understood our financial situation very intimately because she didn't have anyone to really talk to. So I knew how to write a check before the age of 10. I knew what our bills were. I knew how much rent was. I just knew the situation. And of course, looking back, you're like, a child shouldn't have to be confronted with that. But then at the same time, she was my rock and I was hers. That's the realness of the situation. So fast forward, I remember distinctly when I was 10 years old, we had just come back from visiting our family in Trinidad and my mother went to work the Monday and was told that she was laid off. She had no job. She came home. I came home from school. I met her crying. I'm like, what's wrong? I don't have a job. I understood the implication of that at 10 years old. I understood that the situation was precarious. I understood that perhaps we may need to move apartments. Maybe we need to move in with family. I just knew that we were not on solid ground. And then to find out credit card, she had credit card debt that I didn't know about because I didn't understand credit. And that's what really sunk the boat. So that was a moment that really marked me and spiraled me. And it really affected my journey with money for a couple decades after that. Yeah, let's dive into that. Because I think a lot of what we now know or we call as, you know, your money story. It's the thing that as kids, we didn't know was going to influence us as adults. So how did that start to show up for you once you started living your own life, earning your own money? First things was that I wanted all the things. I wanted everything that I didn't, I wasn't able to get. My mother provided for our needs 
but the wants were few and far between. So I wanted all the things I wanted to travel. I got a car when I was 16. I got a good paying job before the age of 20. I dropped out of university because I was more focused on run me my money, pay me my money. But as quickly as I made it, I spent it. I had nothing to show for it. So whereas I I had the opportunity to learn from my mother who managed to rebuild herself financially after that whole incident, I at first didn't go down that path. I didn't look at that as a message, right? I was rebelling. It was really a, a case of rebellion, financial rebellion. And also part of it was self-esteem. I was really trying to validate myself through expression of I've made it. I have this. Here's what I can show for it. And that stayed a good decade from my 20s to my 30s. I racked up about 55,000 Canadian worth of debt. And it was very incremental over time. It's like you almost didn't feel it, right? And it came to a head when my credit card company wouldn't increase my credit limit anymore. (laughs) So I was like, but I'm good. I pay my statement on time. (laughs) Like I'm legit. Uh, Never missed a payment. No, you're not credit worthy anymore. And insult to injury at that time, I was working as a corporate credit analyst. So I should have known better (laughs) because I'm managing multi-million accounts, dollar accounts, you know, and I just was failing personally in, in my finances. And so it was just ironic and embarrassing at the same time. That happened in 2009. And that's when I I had to make a decision to change course. You call yourself a double immigrant, right? Because you first went to Canada and now you're in the States. So at what point did you get to the United States? So I, it was the same year I discovered, well, I realized my debt was out of control. I met my now husband, who is also from Trinidad, but he was kind of quasi living in the US in Trinidad. And So I made it to the United States around 2013 because we got married in 2012 and we were still long distance for an additional year. So the first four years of our relationship, we were long distance. Wow. So that's how I made it to the United States was by grace of God and my husband. Mm -hmm. I would love to dive into how you experienced money differently in Canada versus the US because I don't, I mean, they're both like, you know, democratic air quote societies, but I imagine that the systems are a little different because in Canada, you have things like universal healthcare. You have, it seems like a a more sort of socialist leaning mentality when it comes to like the basic human rights is something that's very not part of the American fabric. So what's the difference between your experience as a Canadian versus an American? Definitely the socialist leaning concept, um, a lot like the Euro countries where you know, there is a baseline level standard of care that is afforded to everybody. It may not be perfect and it's far from perfect, but I could have a whole diatribe about what the current healthcare system is like in Canada and it's sorely lacking. However, from a financial standpoint, you know that you won't go bankrupt, right? You know that you you won't have to worry and make a decision whether I should call the ambulance or not, right? Things, you know, basic human rights, I consider healthcare a human right. Also, things like education, it's it's more subsidized in Canada. Even childcare is heavily subsidized in the province I grew up, which is Quebec. People are only paying $8 a day for daycare. So when my, my friends from the States hear that, they just exactly reacted how you do. Like, And I'm like, but keep in mind, how are Canadians paying for this? They're taxed mm-hmm. highly. My marginal tax rate before I came to the US was almost 50%. Mm, Yeah, that's a common number that I hear from folks in Europe too. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, it, but at the end of the day, I, I do believe in the socialist idea that we all deserve a standard of care and living that is not only just baseline, but that you can actually feel good about. There's a level of comfort. We all deserve that. So it's very difficult for me navigating the United States and the framework and the mentality that the majority of people have here, where it's really all about me and making sure I'm good. And I get it. I want to make sure I'm good too. But I'm a believer that I can make what I can make and then give to others too. Like that's pure power and that's pure wealth for me is to be able to like forward that on and pass that on. Mm, Yeah, I love that mindset. And I think a lot of people, especially in this moment, we're talking in a time where the uh, Roe versus Wade was just overturned by the US Supreme Court. And so this idea of like individual rights versus the government's collective, you know, authority over you, it's coming into question. And so I'm curious if this is something that you talk about on your platform, kind of the micro responsibilities that we have for ourselves, like individually with our finances versus the systemic macro issues that are clearly being felt by different groups of people. But I think the mainstream personal finance community just doesn't acknowledge it's a thing. Yeah, I definitely do the cakewalk between the I straddle is the better word. I straddle both both sides of the of the dichotomy of the money situation. Because as a holistic wealth advocate, I consider it, it's my responsibility to show and to demonstrate through my life and how I live it and my views that wealth is it takes on many forms. And I don't believe in the concept of solely self. You know, that's not how I was raised. That's not what I believe in. And I just actually care about people. Like it's just, it's it's really basic for me. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about your light bulb moment. So you find yourself in a place where you're like, I'm in $50,000 plus worth of debt. This is not sustainable. I need to do something. What's your first move? What do you do? I ask myself how I got here. Hmm. What were those answers? Oof. Well, I did <laughs> I, I, I did the work that many don't, which was to roll back decades and actually sit and write down how I felt about money, how money made me feel, and was it really real? So that sense of power and that sense of validation, I stripped that a- apart to realize that it was all a ruse. It was all a mirage. How I actually experienced money versus how I thought I experienced money, right? So I did that first at the same time. I'm also figuring out how am I going to pay this back? How long is it going to take me to pay this back? Because again, I believe in responsibility. Could I have declared bankruptcy? Sure. There's other ways and means to, you know, to deal with it, but I just, I incurred this debt. So I need to take ownership of it. So that was the mentality that I had already just said, okay, well, I got to figure this shit out and I'm going to do it. So I created the plan. It was, I needed more money because I had more debt than my income at that time. Oh yes. Right. So I knew that I was under earning. So I started reading. I started learning how to apply myself in terms of how to present myself in terms of making a case for a raise, right? Did that, scored my first 10% raise that same year, and then just never looked back. I also leapfrogged into a STEM career with no degree. So that catapulted my salary. And then I slashed expenses. I knew that short term, I understood that this was just a short term. This was a blip in time. I could sacrifice for the, the little amount of time it was going to take me, at first it was going to be five years and I did it in three and a half because I was just that motivated. And I just understood, I'm like, I can do this now so I don't ever have to be in this position again. 
And then with the mindset work, it guaranteed that I would not experience recidivism. I wouldn't fall back into the old ways because that's mm. part of the issue. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone's, you know, hurrying to pay that, pay their debt off, gazelle intense, however you want to call it, but they find themselves back in the situation in short order. But it's because you haven't fixed up here. You yeah. haven't healed the wounds. <laughs> right? That's so true. I, f- I feel like you're talking to me because I literally did this like several times, getting into $10,000 plus worth of credit card debt, doing balance transfers, paying it off. I'm like, I'm never going to do that again. And like six months later, I'm like, holy shit, we just did this. Like what is going on? <laughs> so yeah, that that mindset work. And I think for me personally, what reshaped my relationship with money was realizing that it was either going to be the thing that controlled me or it was going to be the thing that I could use to gain the freedom that I wanted. Mm-hmm. And so then making that shift and realizing this is just doing what I'm telling it to do. And yeah. if I'm not telling it to do anything, then that's why nothing's happening. Right. And another thing for me was I forgave myself. Mm. I forgave myself for creating this mass, for knowing enough at a certain point and still just I forgave myself. I cleansed myself of that. Like that is no longer going to be my defining moment in life. I'm not going to be defined by this debt. No one's going to remember me, God, you know, willingly when I pass away one day that Cassandra, oh yeah, she was horrible with many. She had 55. No, I guarantee you that's not going to be what people are going to say about me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I love it. Okay. So let's dive into those mainly the two things that you talked about that you did first realizing that you needed to increase your income. And so you went about advocating for a raise. I think that's something that scares the shit out of a lot of people, but especially women and women of color, right? We're told, just be grateful. Mm. Be grateful you have the job. Don't Mm. make noise. Don't rock the boat. So how did you decide to approach that? What are some tips that you could share with folks that are, they know damn well they're getting underpaid, but they're just like, how do I even bring this up? So for me, it's about data. At the end of the day, you need to justify, even if you're going to be told no, you've got to come with the case, right? So you're a former engineer. I worked in engineering. It's about data. So I started learning about, okay, how, how is my performance affecting the bottom line? How is my performance affecting the objectives? And how does that then relate to me in terms of bonuses and pay? I also understood the cycle of the company's decision-making in terms of salary raises. So I knew what window to tackle, right? I started understanding really the company culture and seeing, okay, well, this person got a raise. What were they doing or who do they know, right? So I started making alliances and I learned a different language in terms of how to communicate. So all of these things came together. And like I said, I was able to get that first 10% raise because I proved that I was underpaid. You cannot tell me I'm not underpaid. What do you want to do about this? Because I can walk. And that's the thing. If you're going to say that, you need to be prepared to back it up. And I was. Yes. Be about it. <laughs> yeah. So okay. that's it. Yeah. And so you also talked about the fact that you spun into a new career, right? You did a career pivot without the quote unquote certifications or the degrees that you would think. So what career were you in and then what did you move to and how did you make that happen? Yeah. So I was in commercial finance. So as I mentioned, I was a credit analyst. And I ended up in EDI, Electronic Data Interchange, which is IT, which is telecommunications. And how I did that in short was a position opened up at our company and nobody wanted it because they didn't understand it. Right. And I said to myself, I'm like, if I can convince my boss to send me to boot camp, 
right? Because it was for one of my biggest clients and I proved that I was already doing good work. So I already had the inside track that, hey, I, I'm demonstrating I'm a good employee. I'm able to learn on the fly. I will prove to you that I can do this, right? So I actually convinced them. They sent me to Solon, Ohio in the middle of winter. And I just started learning how to map. I was creating map sets and data sets. And I was just like, I'm over my head. I'm, I'm not playing. I'm over my head, but I'm like, I'm going to do this. And I did it. And that leapfrogged into program project management for software engineering and IT. And that catapulted me into six figures. That is wild. Okay. I feel like you've had such a journey and we're just scratching the surface because we still have to talk about how you got into the personal finance space as now an educator. And we have to talk about your music career. So let's dive into, first of all, I'm so curious about musicians who are actually able to like make it right. That's the dream for most people is just to like find the thing they're passionate about. And if it's performing for folks, like you want to be the next JLo or whatever. Mm-hmm. How did you decide to move away from a STEM career to then become an artist? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online store shop phase to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dinero, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dinero now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dinero. So I've been a musician since the age of six. I'm a classically trained clarinetist. I was considered like a prodigy. It was my music teacher in elementary school who told my mother, you need to put her into music classes. Now, keep in mind, my mother is a chambermaid earning $4 an hour, right? But she did it. She scrapped up money for half an hour lessons every couple of weeks. So that's how I started to learn. And then 
fast forward, I through connection of people, I was able to record with Soleil for their first three albums and perform with them live. And that was at the age of 16. So that's how it was just experience and just being recognized for your talent. And then I started to do background vocals for artists that were coming in through all the major festivals. I even toured in my 20s and 30s. So music has always been a part of my life. It's nothing new. I just became a singer-songwriter maybe 15 years ago. But as a musician and as as a as an artist, I've been at it a very long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's the important part that we don't usually see the come up for folks. And it's regardless of the industry. We mm-hmm. see the end result and we're just like, oh my God, you make it look so easy. But there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes. There's a lot of time and energy and effort and perseverance that goes into what you see as the final result for people. Absolutely. And I never really wanted the JLo career because I was always afraid. I prefer actually to be just be in the shadows, you know, just to put out the music that I believe in. It may not be radio worthy. It may not be whatever, but my message, I understand that message. It will resonate with the audience that I have. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm just one of those people who are, I'm unyielding with who I am. I've become very, very connected to who I am and very self-assured. And I just refuse to do anything that is contrary to my values and my beliefs and myself. You know, I think this is a perfect segue into the financial independence movement and how maybe that has played a role in your ability to be this committed to being the version that you want to be, right? I think a lot of us are living lives that are not necessarily aligned with who we want to be because we have shit to do. We have obligations. We have bills that need to be paid. And it feels like we'll do that later, right? You'll Mm. pursue the goal when you're retired, when you're in your 60s, and hopefully you're still healthy. And I'll do the travel then, or I'll do the things then. And it's like, maybe there's a different way. So I'm curious how you got into the financial independence movement. What was that first gateway for you? The gateway was 2009 when I had that amount of debt. So I started reading and then I discovered blogging. Oh my goodness. Oh wow. What a world. So I like a rabbit hole, literally went down (laughs) that, drank it like a fire hose, had my own blog, met amazing group of people. And I, at the time was one of the very few people of color in that space. Like if you think back to Michelle's Money Hungry, her and I started like the same time. Mm-hmm. So there's very few of us representing and it's amazing to see where we are now. I'm so happy to see it. But back then the road was a lot tougher. So that's how I started. But then as I journeyed in my financial end game, which was, okay, at first I thought I wanted financial independence. I'm going to work super hard for seven years and then I'm going to save all the pennies and I'm just going to be. And then that that evolved into, well, I was, I became a caregiver for my mom who had dementia and a lot of my money was being siphoned into her care. Right. And so I said, to your point, there's no guarantees when you hit 60, 65, that you're going to be healthy. You're going to be sane. You're going to be able to really enjoy the fruits of the labor. Why can't I not do that now? Why can't Mm -hmm. I have a little bit of that right now? Mm -hmm. So, which actually, interestingly enough, Friday, is my last day at my nine to five. <gasps> Congratulations. So I am semi-retiring at the age of 45 and I beat that goal by five years. Wow. Um, and keep in mind, I started late. I didn't really have any savings, any retirement money back in 2009 to talk about. So for those who are thinking, I can't do it, it's too late for me. Don't concern yourself so much. I must have a million dollars. I must have X amount. 
just you got to start. You got to just to say, I deserve it. For me, I deserved it. I wanted a different future. I wanted a different outcome than my mother. And how can I use the tools that I have in front of me to get me closer to that end game? And mm-hmm. that's what I did. So you're telling me that you can actually start after 30 and still make it out of the system? Girl, I think everybody needs to know that because I think there's so many people who think that if by 21, you're not already investing, then it's like, what's the point? And there's so much life ahead of you. Remember, I'm a double immigrant. So Mm -hmm. I didn't have a 401k until the age of 38. Wow. So in seven years, I'm (laughs) semi-retired. Yeah. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to chant the song, okay, if I can do it, you can do it. If I can do it, you have a high degree of probability you can do it too. You've got to just customize to your situation and work within your constraints until better can be done. Mm -hmm. So what would you say makes sense as that first step for folks that are like, you know what, I'm ready, but I'm also overwhelmed? First of all, taking the load off your shoulders in the sense that I have to do it this way, right? There, like, you know, again, coming to the chorus of personal finance experts out there who have 10 million one ways to get it done, right? I think first you need to step back and you need to be real with your situation and, and assess where you are. What's your income? What are your debts? Are you caring for children? Are you caring for adults? Are you caring for your parents? What is your situation? Let's be real and put it on pen to paper. And then from there you can say, okay, well, what am I willing to temporarily a do without? Or what am I willing to temporarily allocate more of my personal time to in order to increase income in order to decrease maybe work so that I can do other things that will remunerate me more. It's really about just assessing that first assessment. And then from there, you will honestly, you'll start to think, I don't know how to explain it. I'm a little bit karma kind of girl. So I really believe that once you start putting out there your intentions, and once you start backing it up with actual actions, things really do start to fall into place. Because if I look back on my 10, 12 years from now, you know, 2009, I could have never imagined that I'm sitting talking to you today and I'm going to be semi-retired. Yeah. No, it's incredible how fast things can happen when you start getting intentional and kind of get out of the autopilot, which I think a lot of us are just used to because, you know, for communities of color, the paycheck to paycheck is the norm. So it's like, why would you aspire to more? It's like, if right. you're making it at the end of the month and you're not homeless, like, okay, we're, what else is there to think about? But I think when you have the, the breathing room, when you give yourself that breathing room to really think about, okay, is there something more? Mm-hmm. Is there something else possible? That's, I think, when things start to shift. And definitely your environment is so important. So you may have to make some tough decisions in terms of who you surround yourself with or who you get information from. And I've lost friends along the way just because, again, I'm, I'm, I've experienced growth and not everybody's there wanting to grow with you in that way. And that's okay. But be prepared to accept that things will change for you, even though it's leading to better, things change and mm-hmm. people change along the process. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So you talk a lot about holistic wealth and I'm curious how you define that and what that looks like for you. So I base it on four pillars, which means for me, I base it on spirituality. I base it on physical health, mental health, and financial health. So for me, it's literally, I envision four pillars. 
And if one is lacking or if one is not shored up properly, it's going to affect the other ones without a doubt. So it's important that when I look at my goals, I take all four pillars into consideration in order to set my objectives, in order to help me to figure out, am I hitting them? Do I need to back off one in order to be able to do another? So that for me is holistic wealth is understanding that these four pieces are essential to me becoming wealthy and staying wealthy. Mm -hmm. And how does your, like, what's the future for you, for your financial independence journey, right? Because I think that's important for folks to realize it's not for most of us who've actually achieved it or gotten close or are, you know, getting close to it. It evolves. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of us start off with the basic framework that it's like calculate your fire number, you know, multiply annual spending times 25, bam. Yeah. But I am not a millionaire. I do not have a seven-figure net worth, and I've been able to achieve financial independence through different means. So how has it evolved for you versus when you first found out about it? So to your point, for me, it was about the number. Like I needed to hit high six figures, seven figures, and I haven't hit the seven figures yet. But again, I came into my own during the process as a woman, as a wife, as a sister, as a daughter. And I realized that wealth really is more about than money at the the end of the day. And so that's that evolution of self that will affect how you view and interact with money. So I don't have a flashy, fancy lifestyle. And to those who have, that's fine too. You know, I, I travel, so that does cost a little bit of change. But at the end of the day, It's important for me to reflect who I am in my decisions with money. And that will change as I evolve and as I grow and as I experience new things. You know, the passing of my mother really affected me in terms of how I view time being so short and nothing is guaranteed. And that really helped me to encourage me to say, you know what, I can step away from this job. What's the worst that can happen to me? I may need to go back to work. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. It's like everybody's normal life is the worst case scenario for you. (laughs) Is it really that bad? It's really not that bad. And people would say, oh, well, she's sitting from a position of privilege. I earned that privilege. It's Mm. a big difference. Mm -hmm. Big difference. So I I don't take anything for granted. Okay. So you mentioned that you are married. So what does that look like for you? Are you and your husband like on the journey together? Is this something you do on your own? Like, how do you guys navigate that? It's a hybrid for us. Mm. So he is a sound engineer. He's a self-employed sound engineer. He enjoys his job very much. I get to benefit from the travel part of it. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I just did, you know, 11 countries in Europe. But he's also looking to slow down. That's where the hybrid comes in, where although for the most part, our money is shared and separate. So, you know, we pay our bills together. But other than that, my investments, I control. His investments, he controls. So the outcome is going to be dependent on each person's separate input, right? Mm-hmm. So hence why I was like, well, I, I can walk away. I, I don't need you to tell me I can walk <laughs> away, you know? And yeah. he's so supportive. I have, a, I have a really supportive spouse, but I think meeting me helped him to see life differently because I think he was going to be on that road to like foreverness. Mm-hmm. And I think he realized that like, yeah, we could opt out if I want to. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not pressuring you. But if I want to go travel with my friends, I'm gone. Mm -hmm. you know? And that's what I do. Yeah. 
I absolutely love that. And I think it speaks to this idea that you don't have to give up independence as women just because we're in relationships. And I think financially, it's so important to have the ability to, you know, make those decisions for yourself. What are your thoughts around why it's so important for women to be financially independent, whether they're in a relationship or not? So I'll harken back to my mom. So my mother was in a really abusive relationship her first marriage. She was arranged. My mother was Indian. So she was in a situation of no control over herself, her body, her choices. And she had the courage to flee that situation with no money, no real resources other than immediate family. But even her immediate family shunned her because culturally that was not acceptable. So she imparted in me that it was essential to be able to stand on your own two feet not only to be able to pay your bills or whatever, but for self-preservation in the event that you are in a situation where you are being threatened, literally, verbally, whatever it may be, where you're not being respected, that you have an out. You need to have your out. I don't care how great your relationship is. It could turn on a dime. Mm-hmm. Your partner could die. Yeah. Like, um, you know, like, well, let's not even go to like, oh my gosh, they're hurting you. Well, they could leave you. And then you're in a situation where you have no idea what to do with money. That is scary to me. And that's, I want to be able to help more women to come into their own and realize that you do have a lot more control than you believe you do. Yeah, I love that. Okay, let's talk about specifically for women of color, how radical the idea of financial independence is for so many reasons, right? We are combating against the wealth gap, the pay gap, racism, systemic oppression, You know, it's like the list goes on and on. And it's just like, is there hope? Like, can we actually get out of this system that wants to just grind us up, exhaust us and leave us depleted? What do you have to say? Like, how do we stay motivated and focused on like what's possible versus letting everything that's going on be the thing that defeats us? For me, it's hard to unsee things. So when you see people like yourself, myself, whether it's celebrities or just the average Joe and Jill doing it. I can't unsee that. I can't roll back now. It's too late. I, I know what's <laughs> po- Yeah, I know it's possible. Like I have stepped out the matrix. So the more and more of us that we can help to see that as well and to show them that it is possible and it's even more possible when we combine together to do this. Mm. So that's where you asked about, well, what's that next level for me in terms of like FI? It's to create that philanthropy concept. And not only in terms of cash, but in terms of mental assets, in terms of information, in terms of digital, you know, apprenticeship, whatever that is, whatever our skills are, we need to parlay that into the world because the more of us that have that knowledge and apply it, that's powerful. Mm-hmm. Good luck trying to stop the wave. Yeah, exactly. We're not going anywhere, y'all. No. <laughs> As someone who practices mental health care and also someone who believes in like, you know, spirituality and mindset and all that stuff, I'm wondering if you have some best practices for how you manage your own mental health, you know, again, in a society that can be tearing at us, especially as working women, moms, wives, caretakers. How does one preserve themselves so that they're not pouring from an empty cup? So my mantras protect my peace at Mm. all costs. So I limit my intake of media. I don't completely discount it, but I limit how often I'm posting, how often I'm on scrolling, the doom scrolling. I don't do much of it because I'm busy doing things, (laughs) (laughs) right? I'm busy living life. 
I'm busy pushing towards my goals. I'm busy loving my family. Like I'm busy doing things I enjoy, right? So for me, protecting my peace is, is you talk about self-care and that comes across in so many ways. Like it could be as, as low surface level as getting my nano needling treatment every month. And it's amazing because I can't look at my phone, right? I'm forced to be still. And that's why I encourage your listeners is take time to be still. It feels uncomfortable. We're so used to getting influx of everything and being still is therapeutic. Whether it's meditation, whether it's sitting by a river and just listening to the water flow by, whatever that is for you, take time to be still, be still and know who you are and who you want to be. Yes, y'all. Busyness can be a trauma response to you learning the fact that somehow a lack of productivity means you are less than worthy, that you are lazy. Like that's how capitalism works. And our cultures perpetuate that. I still can't take naps as an adult. Like my mind just doesn't know how to stop. So it's an ongoing process of unlearning a lot of the toxic patterns that we have, you know, assumed as normal, especially Mm -hmm. when we live in this hustle 24 seven culture. Yeah. Living a life of ease is something I strive for. Mm. So as opposed, because I've hustled, I've done the hustle. Right. (laughs) We tired, y'all. We tired. Yo, I won the award. I'm good. (laughs) You know, so I'm over it. Um, I reach, it it helped me accomplish my, my primary objectives. I don't need it anymore. Mm -hmm. I can move on to what's, what's going to fulfill me and what's, what's important for me in this stage of my life. So everything has its place and everything has its time. Yeah. I love it. All right. Cassandra, what's next for you? Girl, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yo, that's the best answer. That's the beauty of Phi. Yeah. Like it's, it's open. Like it's, it's an, I'm a, this new, it's not even a chapter. It's a whole new book. It's a whole new book. And I get to write whatever I want, when I want, why I want, how I want. And it's a gift. Mm. I mean, that's a mic drop moment for real. Like, I am so excited to continue to watch your journey. I know folks are going to want to find out so much more about you. So where can we do that? Sure. So my website is CassandraDason.com and my handles on Instagram, it's at CassandraDason and Facebook, it's at CassandraDasonMM. And yeah, Google me. You'll hear my music. I'm all over the place. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing all your gems. And thank you so much for being an early voice in this space that has given so many women and especially women of color permission to also believe that this is possible for them. So thank you. Thank you. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamline my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you are ready to take your dinero to the next level, sign up for our free 14-page guide, The Financially Lit Latina. 
the ultimate blueprint for becoming poderosa with your dinero. This 14-page guide includes our best tips on money mindset, budgeting, debt repayment, career, investing, financial independence, side hustles, and more. And you can get it completely free. So to get your copy of the Financially Lit Latina, just head over to YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start. That's YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start and start transforming your dinero story today. Until next time, stay empowered, stay inspired, and stay poderosa. On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions or misleading or defamatory statements. Usage of this podcast and associated contents constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.